Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today's guest is Heidi Armstrong. Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast interview. Uh, today on the line, I have probably a little bit more of an unusual guest for my show. Heidi Armstrong is her name, and I've met Heidi uh, initially because she got in t- contact with me to join her on her radio show and then her TV show as well. And while getting to know Heidi, I was interested to learn more about her own entre- entrepreneurial background, of which I think we're about to hear an interesting story. So, Heidi, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, Yarrow. It's it feels like the shoes on the other foot. Yes, it is. Uh, it's uh, hopefully. I guess you like both sides of the microphone. I like both sides of the microphone, so I'm sure you do too. Look, I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, you know, my audience is certainly entrepreneurs. They're predominantly online entrepreneurs. But am I correct that you've spent most of your on uh, your entrepreneurial career in offline businesses? I have. I have spent most of my time building online businesses. Okay. So if if you wouldn't give me a highlight reel what what's what's uh you know people most know you for I would say that particularly in the financial services industry I'm most known for having founded co-founded and run a very successful online non-bank lending business called State Custodians and I ran that business for about seven years and prior to that I was in the financial services industry and I ran a couple of different businesses, a home loan business and also a deposit bond business. But it would certainly be state custodians that I was well recognised for, primarily I think because of the success that state custodians had as a real challenger brand to the major banks. Right. And I really love to hear how that company got started. So before we do that, I always go back in time with my interviews. So could we briefly, you know, take a trip down memory lane and is there any sort of signs in your even preteen era, if we go that far back, did you have a lemonade stand or did you, you know, a lot of people sold cards, baseball cards or something at the local markets? Was there anything entrepreneurial in your background? I, I think the um, the DNA was that my my grandfather was a solicitor, ran his own business. My father was a solicitor, ran his own business. I re- worked as a solicitor thinking I was going to run my own business, but um, I just didn't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so very early on, even as a teenager, I would help my father do the books and it was a very old system where we would do the Kalamazoo where you had the cash sheet and the ledger and the, and the cheque and, you know, that really formed the basis of my interest in business and running a, a smart business as well so that you made money at the end of the day. Okay. So did you, you know, obviously you, you had a university life then. So were you thinking career path for most of the time or I, where, like, I, I was find interesting people who see their family members doing something, but then also see they don't like certain aspects of it how to rejig their ideas about what their career is going to be about. Did you have to sort of, I guess, go against the grain of what your family had showed you was how to build a career? No. Well, I think it was more, I do tend to believe a lot, Yarrow, in 
the universe opening doors. And I didn't listen to the universe for a long time. And, you know, that's where I suppose I started off thinking law was a good idea. I did a science degree and a law degree. And I thought, well, that's, you know, a smart decision. It wasn't anything necessarily I did with my heart. And then from there, I actually did multiple things before I worked out that I needed to be a businesswoman. So I worked in pharmaceutical sales. I then worked as a recruitment in HR, working in a law firm, you know, doing the human resources function. Um, So it really wasn't until I got into business that I actually felt that that was where I was meant to be. And it was the first time I didn't keep jumping ship. It was the first time I could stay put for a while. So I do believe that, you know, opportunity knocks. (laughs) Um, But I guess for me now part of my guiding rule to myself is to follow my heart and I, I do believe that that's where success will come from is if you're doing what you're passionate about doing. Okay, so excuse me, what was the, the business project that you first started that you actually stuck with? Well, getting into financial services and um, my business partner and I saw an opportunity to um, link in with one of the large mortgage insurers, it was GE at the time, to underwrite deposit bonds and be the underwriter. And, you know, these were for people who were purchasing property and they didn't want to put up a 10% cash deposit, particularly for a long-term off-the-plan purchase, um, there was a surety product called deposit bonds. And through our relationships, we were able to negotiate to get the pen, the licence to underwrite bonds on behalf of GE. And, you know, the market always changes yarrow and nothing is certain and um, sure enough GE pulled out of that market but happily we then you know spun on a dime and found another underwriter which was QBE and we um, established XO deposit bonds as the sole Victorian agency for QBE deposit bonds and that was a very successful business and it was really seeing where opportunity um would present itself so that all of these clients we had who were, you know, purchasing property off the plan, ultimately they needed to finance that purchase when it came time to settle. And they brought the opportunity to provide home loans and do lending. So that's sort of where we started to move into lending and we started as a EXO home loans, which we offered via mortgage brokers And it really became, state custodians really came together when we wanted to build a business that wasn't based on our personal relationships so that we could be mobile and we could actually move into state and relocate to um, a place that would fit our lifestyle a lot more. I'm I'm curious, Heidi, it sounds like your background has almost nothing to do with this sort of financial services industry. And you're talking very much like you've got technical knowledge obviously now having come out the other end you would have learned a lot but back at the start you you were like you said a solicitor and and was it pharmacy or your your skill base how does that turn into was there like a uh, some sort of um like you said the universe opened a door were you just thinking you know what this sounds like fun i'm going to jump and board this business was that sort of how it began i think it's because you know having a co-founder who had the experience in the financial services industry and what I could bring to it was 
all of the support other than, you know, every, I could bring to the business everything outside of, you know, the technical um, aspects of it. And, you know, even to this date, as I've always employed different staff members, I do believe that the technical skill set is the easiest thing to recruit for. And I've never recruited people based purely on, you know, having done the tasks in, in the past. I think you recruit for attitude and aptitude and um, intelligence and um, willingness to roll up your sleeves and and bunker in and I think that that's what I present that's what I brought along to the partnership okay so what were the in terms of the growing this company so you, you you've got these agreements in place and you said you were getting clients and you said it was mostly from relationships so were you two before you expanded, was it just you two on the ground or did you hire a team straight away from the beginning? Like how did the company initially grow? No, the company initially grew just through people we knew in property development and it was really my co-founder David and I, it was about us hitting the pavement together <laughs> and going out and um, selling the dream and, you know, putting yourself out there and saying, listen, why don't we do business together? And, you know, I had a career previously in pharmaceutical sales, so I understood about the need to close and ask for business. And my business partner, David, is exceptional salesperson. And um, so that is what we did. We hit up our network and we found a couple of key players and a key referral points and nurtured them. So we got repeat business from them. Okay. Now, was there something that was a point of differentiation for what you were doing? Because I'm assuming, you know, you were entering the crowded market space back then. No, we weren't. Okay. That, that was that was why we liked it so much in that there was only seven agents for GE Australia-wide at the time. Um, it was a booming market, so it was when the market was really, the property market was really taking off and just going ballistic and there was lots of construction and lots of development, certainly where we were in um, Melbourne at the time. So it was, it, was, it was a very good market to be in because there weren't many players and it wasn't like home loans with deposit bonds it was very difficult to be able to get the pen from the underwriter and be able to issue bonds, and there was a very good margin in it. Okay, so I don't want to say it was easy, but it must have been <laughs> uh, somewhat nice to be, you know, trailing a blaze through a, a market where you know you could knock on doors and not have someone be saturated with other people trying to sell them the same thing. That's uh, makes it things a bit easier. It was, it was nice and it was also important for us to make money from day one and that was quite a unique business to be able to make money um, from, from the start and it, we didn't even have to do, unlike loans where you don't get paid until settlement, which might be, you know, six, three months later, with deposit bonds you get the money up front. So we were very lucky in terms of we didn't have to put much capital into the business at all to get it going. Okay, so now you said most of your experience is in online business, but how does that connect with this business? Because you said you were basically doing, I won't say door-to-door -door selling, but it was close, <laughs> close to that, right? So That's right. No, look, that was the, I, I suppose it stands out in my mind because it was more recent with state custodians as an online non-bank lending 
that, but that came later. But I see that more as the majority of my career rather than the deposit bond side. The deposit bond business was a great business that really gave us momentum and pitched us well into the financial services industry. But from an online business, that was really when we started State Custodians. Okay, so could you take me forward and connect the dots between what you were doing with the bonds to State Custodians? Yes, so with the deposit bonds, um, people would make property purchases and they would take up a deposit bond with us and then it might be that they've purchased the property that's not due for completion for two years and then 24 months later they come back to us and they say what do I do now with this deposit bond because I'm a, I need to settle on the property and we say well you need to come up with 100% of the finance because that's how the deposit bond worked um, and we can help you with that. <laughs> right. So that's where we started getting into the home lending side of things and my business partner David he had a vast experience in that and a very good reputation in the industry so it was easy enough for us to um, become a mortgage manager at the time and that's the step into lending. Okay so what did you personally start doing at this stage? Did you change roles from sort of you know knocking on doors and, and selling to something else? Look, I became the underwriter for a long period of time, so I got caught in the detail of underwriting the bonds because, yes, we'd go out together to pitch the case initially, but then, you know, someone actually has to underwrite the deal and make sure that it's a good deal and, you know, that it fits all the compliance and um, the requirements put forward by the um, insurance company. So that was where I ended up getting really caught in the detail of, you know, the technical side, I learnt it. Um, and it was when we started the online business, I was the online lending business, I was sort of doing a lot of the credit assessing of in, uh, that was the function that I primarily took as well as doing, you know, running the businesses as usual. But David took on the sales and a little bit of the sales and marketing side of things to start with. Tell me more about this transition to online because um, <clears throat> my audience being very online focused, this sort of level of an online business though is a bit foreign to them in the sense that, you know, we're more about building these small platforms around blogs, around information products, uh, not so much, I'm assuming a larger, maybe more corporate structure, the, the kind of company you grew and, and then eventually sold, especially with the online aspect of that. Do you just sort of hire a tech team suddenly or hire a, a, a tech firm to build a complete online platform for you that's, I'm, I'm assuming, designed to bring clients who need loans to you and, and be able to deliver and service that electronically online. Is that sort of how it works or how does, how does it evolve? It's actually just like your clients. We just built a website. And we told the story on our website and we got smart about how we got eyeballs to our website. So it wasn't anything, I mean, down the track, um, many years down the track, when we were really getting traction, yes, we had to get a team to build an online application um, process that would integrate with electronic verification of ID and, yes, absolutely at that point. But that was many, many years later. So initially... It was having a website. It was quite simple because 
It was about understanding how to get eyeballs to our site. And then once we got eyeballs to our site, it was about how do we convert that business and have those conversations with people who want to engage with us so that they then want to, you know, fully convert into a loan application and and settle their loan with us. And how did you get the eyeballs to the website? We were very focused in where we would put ourselves out there on the net. So for us, we looked at financial comparison websites. And this is really financial comparison websites like Rate City, CanStar, Home Loan Finder, Help Me Choose, InfoChoice. This was sort of early, sort of around those early stages of these um, comparison sites. I remember we were the first or one of the first um, customers that Rate City had. And and so we were right there where we, they were sort of getting getting started and it really was fabulous because it allowed us to have such solid relationships with with these providers and it meant that they basically did a lot of the marketing to bring the eyeballs to their sites. We ranked very well and part of our marketing strategy was to make sure we priced our loans so that we could qualify for CanStar five-star ratings and because we qualified so for those ratings and also because our price was so sharp because we didn't have branches, we didn't disseminate our products via mortgage brokers, we just simply offered them direct to the public so we cut out that layer of cost. We were able to offer these products as very on very sharp rates and hence these financial comparison sites would rank us and it gave the perception, I think, to many people coming to those financial comparison sites almost like a third-party endorsement from those comparison sites. Right. So you really leveraged uh, that trend towards using comparison shopping for things like loans. And it sounds like you knew how to rank well. It sounds funny, yes. but rank well in a comparison site. So that brought you a lot of your audience. Is, is it fair to say that most of your initial online business came from, from that comparison sites? Yes, absolutely. It did. And um, it continued that way for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, it served us well, that strategy. Now, I'm curious for anyone who's listening into this, because uh, comparison shopping is something that's becoming common in a lot of industries. Is there any tricks you can share with us on how to rank well in those sorts of things? Is it just a case of having the lowest price or, like you said, getting yourself the the, the right kind of badge of credibility to, you know, to, to get to make sure people choose you? I think it's important to establish relationships um, and also consistency. A lot of these comparison sites really appreciate people who aren't fly-by-nighters and, you know, are there for five minutes and, and down for five minutes because that actually doesn't give the customer experience Um, it doesn't help the customer experience and they want to be delivering a consistent customer experience. So for us, we... We built solid relationships, I think, because we were consistently there. And so that obviously meant revenue for the financial comparison site, but it also they could be relying on us to deliver consistency, which is what they wanted to be showing to their um, to their web visitors. The other thing is we understood and we made sure we got insight into the methodology. So sometimes we would actually tinker and 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 tweak our product offerings so that we would rank better on different financial comparison sites. 
Now, is this how you manage to, I guess, outcompete the bank lenders? Because now that you're going direct to the public like that, you're up against some big players now compared to the bonds market, right? Yes. So, look, the, the banks always have the advantage in that they, you know, it's, it's, they're very well known. So we were a challenger brand and being this challenger, you know, the underdog, if you like, we had to position ourselves that way. Um, and I think it resonated with a lot of people. You know, a really difficult time was during the GFC. You know, when the GFC hit, you know, it was very challenging for us at State Custodians um, because, you know, funding lines, liquidity, all of that was was difficult. There were players um, that were pulling out of the market. We had to get really lean and mean to make sure that we didn't have any fat anywhere just in order to survive. Um but I think, you know, it, I mean, in the end, Yarrow, my positioning with state custodians was about, and I truly believe this and I continue to believe in this, is that there ne- for there to be good competition in the market, there needs to be a healthy sector outside of the major four. And it's, that's not to say that we don't want a healthy, strong banking financial services system. We absolutely do. But it's actually the clients of the major banks actually do better if there is competition in the market. So our positioning was all about making sure that there's a strong, healthy competition so that all consumers will continue to benefit. I can still imagine it would have been... uh... And challenging. It's always challenging to go up to against such large companies. But could you take us forward, Heidi, with uh, state custodians? Then, so you you've got this online presence. You're starting to build clientele through comparison shopping. They're coming to you. They're, you're getting loans. Did it just keep growing? You hire more staff, and then one day someone offered to buy you. Like, can you take us through to the conclusion of the the state custodian story? Well, the we. In just going back to your question about, you know, was it just the financial comparison sites? It was that and we continued to play in that space and I think play very well in that space. But what we also did is we made sure we developed a broader content strategy. And, you know, this is where it is really important to have um, a diverse way of bringing eyeballs into your site. We didn't want to become too reliant on the financial comparison sites because new competitors were coming into the market. So a big part of our play was to look for an investor so that we could expand beyond just being able to, you know, source our lead generation from these financial comparison sites. And part of the strategy of that was with our when we sold the majority ownership in the business um, in 2011, what was appealing for that is it allowed us to not just grow organically but to have um, more serious growth because we could invest in a broader content strategy where we would do the videos and the podcasts and we would be really looking at that point in becoming an expert positioning, putting out the content so that we could continue to attract more and more eyeballs from a variety of sources. And that worked really well. And, you know, whenever you looked at our Google Analytics and you saw where did people come from, um, you know, that they came from all over. Okay, so you became a, a, 
a content marketing company. Yeah. <laughs> so Yarrow, we're very similar. Yeah, you just had a completely different clientele to me, and uh, it, I don't know. It's something about financial services. It just sounds so serious compared to you know helping people deal with acne or um, all the various <laughs> types of people I, I talk to in blogging. It, but you know, at the end of the day, you're using the internet just as we are, and you have to compete using content, SEO, get leads, okay. convert them, and so on. So. Um, yeah, one thing I will say on what your comment was, I think having the personality in the brand worked really well, though, because, yes, you're right, the financial services industry, it's all very serious, but I think for state custodians, a big success has been and continues to be how personable it is. How do you do that with a, with a big company like that? Um, well, being in the online space, Yarrow, you have to really deliver and because everybody these days, as you know, is a publisher <laughs> and so you actually have to deliver an exceptional customer experience and a really personable customer experience because that's because people are going to talk about you whether you like it or not and they're going to talk about you even if you're not in the room effectively. So that's where it was about making sure that we really did value the customers genuinely and valued delivering for them an experience that was worthwhile them becoming advocates for their business, for our business. And, you know, a very significant part of all new business from state custodians was from word of mouth and from referrals. So how do you control the customer experience and make it personable? Is it, is it a case of a training process for hires or, you know, I mean, in terms of personal experiences with most of my people, they're the customer service or they've got one customer service assistant and the way things are personal, it's you've got your picture on all your content, you've got your voice on all your content. But I'm assuming with a company that's a bit larger with, with financial services, you've got call centers maybe, you know, you've got this sort of more um, broken apart uh, company with there's no one individual that's the, the like it's not Heidi Armstrong coming to you uh, as the face of uh, state custodians is it it's it's like uh, a company so how did you manage that personal aspect despite getting to the point where you're you're larger and you're in an industry where people expect large like I don't want to get a loan from what seems like an individual who's sitting in the, you know, the caravan in the back of somewhere with satellite internet access. I actually want the company to feel like a big company because this is a lot of money we're talking about with lending. So there's a balance there, right, between personable but stable because of the size and, and the backing you've got. So how did you manage to deliver both things? It came to having good people who were highly qualified and we had an advantage in that our sales team, like our frontline team talking to consumers, were regional up near Newcastle. And the advantage of that is that the price point that you could get seriously qualified, impressive characters who would be able to have fabulous conversations with people on the phone um, it was attractive and it certainly, rather than having a call centre in, you know, the CBD in, in one of the major centres in, in Australia, um, being regional we, we had lower costs and at the same time we didn't make our costs so low by going offshore. So people really had those significant interactions with 
um, our sales team who were impressive characters. I mean, they might have been qualified financial planners and accountants. So it was, like I said before to Yara, it was about recruiting people with the right attitude, the skill sets you can you can bring in your own skill set and bring to the table, you know, your own background to help um, showcase how how good you are as a salesperson because you basically bring your own story into the conversation. But, you know, I think at the end of the day it was having people with the right attitude but also highly skilled but that were actually um, at a lower price point for us. Okay, I can see how that works. So, Let's take us for us to sort of maybe wrap this up, Heidi. Now, you said you sold out a majority ownership of state custodians, and clearly you're, you're becoming a media personality at the moment with radio and TV. Uh, it, was that a, a conscious choice and you're, you're no longer involved with the day-to-day operations of the business and you reached this point where you said, what's next? Is that kind of what happened in the most recent few years? Well, I guess in the lead-up to selling... Um, our final share in the business, I did a lot of media work to promote state custodians. So I was involved in the PR and um, there'd be different, you know, interviews on on radio and television and I really enjoyed that process. And I really, um, I, I really did love being a, an advocate for something I really believed in. And I suppose given that when we sold the business and, you know, part of the terms are, you know, I'm on gardening leave (laughs) because um, it's not appropriate for me to go and, you know, start up a competition to a business that someone has bought, I thought I had to think, Yarrow, what do I want to do? And as I said to you earlier, I do believe in following what you're passionate about. And I had to sit back and go, okay, well, I've been very passionate about state custodians, I've been very passionate about, you know, making sure consumers have a better deal. What what can I do that really lights the fire within me? And I, the more I dawned on, the more I thought about it, the more it dawned on me, what I am really passionate about is business. And it was about running a business. It was about seeing a business grow from nothing and into something substantial that somebody wanted to purchase. And I love the fact that there's so many fabulous stories out there and about people who are doing disruptive business I also love. People who are going outside of their comfort zone, outside of the box and looking at life a bit differently but doing it with passion. And so that's where I, I, I wanted to showcase these sort of people and, you know, hence my... Um, hence my foray into radio and television and I pitched to Sky News that I'd like to do a show called Business Success and, you know, showcase those stories that often don't get heard and the same with doing this, um, the Entrepreneur Show on 2GB. I'd previously been doing the property show. I really enjoyed it and now I just love, you know, having significant talent like yourself, Yarrow, come along and, you know, share their stories, share stories to help others grow their businesses. I think we're probably quite similar in that, uh, Heidi, because I love talking to other entrepreneurs and and finding out how they do what they do as well and then sharing that with with people. So that's great. Where can we find these things now? Obviously, most of this is very Australian-based and maybe my overseas listeners can they find these things online? I know your radio show is also recorded, so they can go to some websites to find your content, right? 
Yes, that's right. So at the moment, they will be going to 2GB. And if you Google 2GB, Heidi Armstrong, you'll certainly find all of my um, radio content and the interview that I've done with you on on um, 2GB will be there, Yarrow. In terms of the other material that I'm continuing to develop, I will be launching my website very soon, which will be moneytolove.com.au. Oh, that sounds very romantic. <laughs> <laughs> look, I've been in the finance industry and I, you know, I've, I've loved, you know, money and finance and I also want to really encourage people to build their businesses to be successful, to get money, but to do it with passion. And that's where the money to love comes from. Okay. Uh, one last question then. So what's Heidi doing in the future? Obviously, you're doing a bit of media now, but I'm, it sounds like you've got some other big plans. Are you planning on starting another company? Well, I, I am. I'm planning on, well, I've already started the business, but what I want to do is continue to work in the media to showcase businesses because that's what I'm passionate about and I'd love to be on Money to Love bringing experts together like yourself, people who can really offer something to help people kickstart their business or grow their business. So I'd like to become, you know, there aren't many women in the business talking about business and, you know, I'm a woman that really is passionate about business and I'd love to be um, showcasing not just broad, broadly, you know, businesses, but also I'd love to help showcase women's, how women pr- proceed forward in business and the challenges that they face because I think a, as a woman it can be a little bit different to the experience that a man faces. I totally agree. I am very tired of attending business networking events with 85% men in attendance oh. and so few women. So You should you should hang out in the finance industry. It's it, it, it's worse than that. It's different, isn't it? Okay. Well, is it? Well, worse than that. Wow, okay. It's worse well, than that. Although, surprisingly, I did go to a blogging conference which was 85% women. That was a unique experience, I have to say. So I'm used to being the, the majority, not, my, not the minority. <laughs> Heidi, thank you for uh, coming on my show and, and sharing your story. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you get up to. And, and of course, thank you for having me on uh, your two shows too. That was you know, uh, a unique experience for me to get on mainstream media. I'm so used to online media, and uh, I think there's still some value in the old school media. I'm sure you would agree. So, um, good luck with your future projects. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Yarrow. And um, you know, it's been a lovely journey having the interactions with you. And similarly, I wish um, the, you and the Entrepreneurs Journey every success. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Yarrow. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you'd like to download my other podcasts, you can go to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com and then look for the podcast tab or you can search my name, which is Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. You can also subscribe in iTunes. You'll find the podcast there also by searching for my name, Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. Thanks again, and I'll catch you again on the next podcast. This is Yaro Staric. Goodbye.